I'm Chris Reback. This is Working Capital Conversations. This episode is sponsored by Working Capital Review. Looking for the best collection of ideas that drive global business? Go to workingcapitalreview.com, sign up with your email, and each day get a new smart post delivered. You know Silicon Valley, that magical place where people, ideas, investment, and opportunities have come together for years to generate the next generation of disruptive businesses. The big challenge for Silicon Valley has not been bringing all those assets from around the world to one place in Northern California. It's been how to bring Silicon Valley to the world. Most specifically, how do you scale, to use a startup word, the key elements from a startup environment and distribute them globally? That's just part of GSV Lab's mission. GSV stands for Global Silicon Valley. And as you'll hear from CEO Nick Hill Sinha, that's exactly what they are. From physical accelerators placed in some of the most exciting locations in the world to a digital environment that connects some of the most remote, GSV Labs has pooled an extraordinary collection of entrepreneurs, corporations, thinkers, and technology. A word about Nick Hill. He's just the person to lead such an effort and well worth listening to. He spent a career shuttling between launching and building global startups and leading various academic efforts, including as vice chancellor of Shiv Nadar University in India and associate dean for academic affairs at the University of Texas. Most recently, he served as chief content officer at Coursera, one of the world's leading higher education platforms. It's a great conversation. Before my conversation, though, I have an ask from me to you. I hope you like these Working Capital Conversations, and if so, I'd appreciate if you'd take a moment, go to iTunes, and if you're so moved, leave a five-star review. The ratings really matter. They go a long way to helping other people find the podcast. Thank you for considering my request. That's it. Here's my conversation with Nick Hill Sinha. Nick Hill, thanks very much for joining me. I appreciate your time. So GSV stands for Global Silicon Valley. Talk to me about the global. I mean, isn't there enough going on just in Silicon Valley? Um, There absolutely is. But what we are seeing now uh, increasingly around the world is uh, innovation uh, springing up in Shenzhen, China, in Beijing, in Shanghai, in Bangalore. Uh, in Hyderabad, uh, London is becoming a hotbed for entrepreneurial activity, and in Rio and in Sao Paulo as well. Um, innovation and entrepreneurship now is no longer the preserve solely of Silicon Valley, and the entrepreneurial and innovation uh, system continues to expand around the world. So when we uh, think about um, Uh, Silicon Valley, we know that increasingly we need to be connected to the rest of the world and the rest of the world needs to be connected to Silicon Valley. And and so describe that for me. How how does that work? Do you, you know, do you set up physical, um, you know, building plant and equipment or human capital in these locations, you know, connecting these locations? Is that uh, thanks to that little thing called the internet? Talk to me about, uh, you know, how you organize, you know, how do you identify locations and and people and and all of that? Sure. So we have a two-pronged strategy. One, we do believe it's important to have a physical presence in the uh, most um, dynamic 
uh, innovation and entrepreneurial markets in the world. So we are, of course, headquartered uh, here in Silicon Valley, uh, but we also have a location in Boston. We're in the process of opening a new location in Pittsburgh as well. So mm. there are, uh, within the U.S. itself, there are um, places that um, are very dynamic in terms of entrepreneurial activity, and we want to continue to support that within the U.S. Uh, and then beyond that, we are establishing centers in Shenzhen, China, in, uh, in Paris, in London, in Bangalore, and in Rio. So we do believe that having an anchor innovation center, as we call it, is very important uh, in these markets. And in those innovation centers, we bring together um, entrepreneurs, uh, venture capitalists, um, large corporate customers, uh, and create an environment where they can begin to translate their ideas into innovation and new business models. Uh, we have about 300 between um, uh, Silicon Valley and Boston and in the U.S., we have about 300 startups that we work with, about 450 investors, as well in about 50 companies that are part of our innovation ecosystem. And we're going to take that model and bring that to these different uh, countries around the world uh, as well. So that's one part of the strategy. Um, related but somewhat separate is to take advantage of what you rightly identified as this new technology called the internet. Um, you know, while it's great for us to have uh, a presence in these markets, we also know that entrepreneurial activity and innovation is taking place um, in uh, cities around the world where we would never have a GSV lab center. So we know there's uh, entrepreneurial activity in, in Nairobi, in Kenya, Mm. Um, we know that there's um, activity taking place um, in Nagpur, in uh, in India, in Manchester, in Cornwall. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of activity that's taking place where we will not have a physical presence. How do we bring the resources that we provide to our uh, members in our physical centers, in our innovation centers, how do we bring those resources to those people around the world um, and for that, we are launching an online platform that will allow uh, anyone anywhere in the world to become a GSV Labs member. So describe, you, you, and you did this a little bit, um, an innovation center. Bring that alive for me. What does that feel like? What does it look like? What's the activity? If you have a number of companies in there, startups, you know, X number of them, do they mix? You, you've got mentors. How do the mentors determine which of the startups that they are mentoring? What, 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 is, that, what, is, an inno, what is an innovation center and, and what does it feel like? Sure. So, you know, Im imagine that you're on 2955 Campus Drive in San Mateo in the heart of Silicon Valley and you enter the GSV Labs uh, Innovation Center. Um, firstly, you'll find that there are about 350 people uh, within uh, a space that is about 46,000 square feet of, of, of space. Um, many of them are startups. There are about 80 of them, that uh, 80 startups that um, are engaged in a range of um, technology-based startup activity, including in sectors like um, education technology and financial technology, uh, healthcare technology, uh, data, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. 
sustainability, entertainment. So there's a wide variety of that kind of activity taking place. Most of these people you find uh, are, it's an open work uh, workspace where people have desks um, and, and they are sitting next to each other. And there many of these companies that are at the same stage of evolution and development and they talk to each other. They, there's a community around it. There's networking that takes place on a regular basis. But also within that same location are uh, venture capitalists with whom um, our uh, startup members can interact and bounce off ideas and raise investments. Uh, and there are also large companies like uh, 3M uh, who have their innovation hub, uh, Silicon Valley Innovation Hub in the GSV Labs Innovation Center in Silicon Valley. Uh, and they use that center to both spark remain connected to to what's going on in emerging technologies, but also to spark internal uh, innovation uh, as well as to connect with the startup environment. So it really is an excellent mix of people and a, and a community that interacts. We have events, we have demo days, we have accelerator programs. Companies regularly come from all over the world hmm. uh, to participate in our accelerator programs. We have partnerships with um, organizations in, in South Korea, in Mexico, in Germany, in China, in India, in Brazil, and they keep sending their startups to uh, Silicon Valley to participate in, uh, in our accelerator programs. So there's a tremendous hub of activity um, and, and uh, serious uh, innovation and entrepreneurial work uh, uh, taking place in those innovation centers. What is a member? Why why come to one of these innovation centers? Well, yeah. what does a member get when they yeah? What does a member get when they come? Well, there, you know, uh, four I think uh, four or five uh, key things. One, community and networking, uh, and the ability to talk to the people that they need to talk to to solve their problems. Secondly, access to our mentor network. We have about over a hundred mentors that work with these companies, and the mentors and the companies find each other through us. Uh, companies tell us what they need. Mentors tell us what kinds of companies they want to work with, uh, and we do the matchmaking uh, for them. Uh, they get access to our preferred provider program. We partner with about 25 companies um, that provide key services that a startup might need, anywhere from you know Amazon and Google Cloud, where they do um, you know, the ability to launch their uh, networks on those uh, cloud platforms to legal and finance and HR services. The value of that is about $200,000. So GSC Labs member who comes in uh, immediately gets sort of uh, an investment of $200,000 from GSC Labs and, and our partners. Uh, to help jumpstart that company. Yeah. Uh, and then the, 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 the last thing is that they get access to our investor uh, network, and that gives them the ability to continue to raise money uh, as well. So uh, it's a, it's, the whole platform is designed to promote um, entrepreneurships to launch these um, uh, companies to accelerate their progress and growth. And if you take, but if you think about everything that we do, all of that can also be provided online. Yep. And that's why we're so excited about the launch of our online platform so that we can take all these resources and bring them to people who don't otherwise have the opportunity to access uh, these resources. You know, listening to you, I, I'm curious, you have 
an incredible perch and and view. And I'm kind of curious how you're seeing the global economy um, based from what you do and, and where you sit. On the one hand, you are describing a totally connected, totally cross-border, you know, easily transitioned global economy where, as you just described, this might occur online. You might not even need, you know, in certain places like Nairobi to be um, physically present. You can connect them. And in other places, you, you may have that physical presence. But but you are describing a connected global economy. And yet, at the same time, you know from, you know, not just this country, but you know what's happening uh, with the EU and, and in other countries, um, a, a turning inward. And, and there's, you know, there's, there's some growing, you know, government efforts to, to, you know, dissuade some cross-border transactions and that type of um, economic activity. And dissuade may be, may be not the fairest term, but, but you, you, you know what I'm saying. How do you view yes. that? How do you view the, the tension right now between um, the interconnectedness that you describe versus to oversimplify the you know, spots of nationalism or protectionism that we all see and read about? Yeah, I that's a great question, Chris. I think um, what we are seeing in some respects is, is almost the last attempts of a 20th century industrial economy to try and deal with the, uh, I think, inevitable uh, and at this point, unstoppable uh, transformation that the 21st century technology, information technology-based economy is developing into. And I think that we are at that point where we are at the cusp of this tension between one and the other as we're transitioning from one side to another. It's not unlike, if you go back and uh, look historically, it's not unlike the tensions that arose as we made the transformation from agriculture-based economies to industry-based economies. And again, there was a lot of resistance um, about the changes that were taking place in land ownership and the mechanization of agriculture and the transition migration of people from um, rural and agricultural areas to the cities. And we're beginning, those tensions are playing out right now uh, as well. You know, in in that time, as that industrial revolution uh, was was, um, rising to, to its peak, um, and countries began to shut down their borders to try and uh, uh, protect against globalization, we led to the first Great Recession, the Great Depression, actually, as a consequence of that. And I think there's some danger of that here as, as countries now continue to protect, think that they're protecting their industrial base uh, in this onslaught of, of continuing connectivity and global trade. So that's what the tension that I'm seeing. I just don't think that um, what we've been able to achieve technologically is is uh, uh, you know can be uh, walled off in any mm-hmm. meaningful way uh, anymore. That genie is is out of the bottle. And I'll just give you the example of our of of our online platform. Um, you know, if you think uh, just to go back to what members get uh, with there in Silicon Valley, well, they get uh, community and networking, where we know from. Facebook and 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 Twitter and and LinkedIn yeah. that 
you can build community and networking online. Uh, they get access to mentors. Well, you know, all those mentors that are available online and even those mentors that are located in Silicon Valley, they spend about 80% of their time interacting with their companies uh, on the internet anyway. So those mentors can be scaled around the world. They get access to investors and those investors are also um, online and the interactions are uh, online. And then finally, our preferred provider program where if you want to access AWS uh, resources, you can do that anywhere in the world through our platform. So there are no barriers to us, even though we believe it's important for us to have innovation centers around the world. The fact is that those are not a, a necessary condition for us to be able to provide our resources around the world and for people to be able to access it. Nikhil, you, you have an incredible background, and I'm going to ask you about it uh, in a little bit, uh, this mix of academic and entrepreneur and executive, business executive, and, and you know, the, the way that that has intersected in, in your career um, is, is fascinating, and I, I want to hear more about it. It also, as I'm listening to you, really came across in that last answer. So the academic in you, uh, of course, recognized where we are in society today and the tensions and, and compared it historically, which I was going to ask you about, and, and you went there naturally. I also heard the um, executive and entrepreneur in you in terms of thinking about the opportunity. How do you think in terms of an investor? So if we are at that cusp and we are in that tension point and there's going to be a frothy back and forth and some peaks and valleys, how do you think from an investment point of view, you know, in the long run, I assume you're betting, listening to you, you're betting on the, the, the win for globalization. In the short term, it sounds like it's going to be choppy. How do you think about that balance as an investor? Yeah, I, I think that, um, um, in investors, particularly in, in the in private equity investors, as they're now looking at their existing investments as well as their uh, as they do due diligence into fresh and new inve investments, I think they have to put the uh, the challenge of innovation and digital disruption at the heart of their investment thesis. So as they're looking at these companies and they're saying, well, this company is an old line uh, industrial company. Uh, we believe we have an opportunity to do transformation, improve them, make the investment um, and, and benefit both the company as well as ourselves from that investment. I think they have to ask the question, what is going to happen to the business model of this company in five to seven years? We don't even have to think out 10 years anymore, mm. you know, three to five years in some cases to say, how is technology going to disrupt the business model of this industry? How is it going to disrupt the business model of this company? Who are the co potential competitors, not just the existing online uh, competitors, but who are the new and emerging competitors in Silicon Valley and in China and in, and in India who are building technologies that are going to disrupt um, the, uh, the, the business model of this company? I spent... As you know, the last three years before I came to GSV Labs, I was chief business and chief content officer of Coursera, which is the world's largest higher education platform. Yeah, an incredible and, platform. Um, yeah, an incredible platform. And I, you know, I, I was, uh, uh, I started the enterprise business there, our B2B business. Hmm. And, you know, what I saw, the reason we, 
that business became so successful so quickly is because learning and development, 10 years ago, learning and development in, in companies was a, is a nice to have, a perk that they provided employees. Uh, today, learning and development is a strategic necessity. And for companies who do it well, it's a strategic advantage. Because unless they have the ability to retrain, reskill uh, their employees, uh, they will continue to struggle competitively in a global technology-based um, economy. Uh, we are seeing the same thing happen with innovation now. I think innovation today in the enterprises where learning and development was 10 years ago, today it's a nice to have. You see people investing in, you, know, you now have titles like chief innovation officer or VP of innovation uh, in companies. Within five years, uh, the ability to innovate will become a strategic necessity for companies um, around the world. Uh, it won't just be a, a nice to have. Uh, so I see, I see a lot of parallels between what's happening with learning and development and now what's happening with innovation within the enterprise. And I think as an investor, um, I would be asking that question all the time, particularly private equity investors that do primarily invest in um, uh, online business models and online companies to say, what is the impact of technology and how will that disrupt the industry or the company that I'm investing in? And, and you just mentioned, you know, you talked about Coursera. Um, give, give me another example, maybe, of one of these uh, businesses lined up to um, leverage or take advantage of the disruption. Uh, maybe one of them, and, and I know you love all of your children equally, um, but, but you know, one or two of them out of your stable. I mean, you have um, different labs. Uh, you, know, you have the ad tech, you have entertainment, sustainability, big data, and mobile. Um, is there an example that comes to mind out of one of them that uh, proves out what you're describing? So, uh, you know, without, without mentioning names, um, there are um, uh, several new emerging financial technology companies that we think are going to be extremely disruptive in the way that payments are being uh, developed and processed. The, the uh, payment and funds transfer industry remains very old school. Mm. It's dominated by large, heavily regulated companies. Um, and uh, the ability to go in and um, change the nature of how and when financial transfers take place, I think is a continually evolving area. We saw PayPal came in you know, 15 years ago or so and begin to build a peer-to-peer -peer payment network, I think that that's what we're seeing is just the beginning of what's going to happening, happen with payments. Uh, and we have several of our startups in Boston who are doing very exciting work in this area. Yeah, there, as I researched for this conversation, you, you have a number of companies in that area. Another one that, that caught my eye, obviously, and I, I know, again, I know that you, you play no favorites and uh, you support all of the, the companies. Um, but the uh, Brax, which uh, is, I guess, the first corporate card for startups that has no personal yep. guarantee or security deposit required, which is, um, you know, kind of incredible. Uh, and I know that's yep. not the only one. You've, you've got a number of, of uh, uh, efforts in, in the uh, payments area. We do. And the Brax platform today is focused on providing credit to startups, but the 
way that they are building and thinking of the technology, there are many more applications of the way that they're doing. And it's one of, you know, it's it's uh, um, already valued at over a billion dollars. Um, and it's just a couple of years old. So I, you know, and I uh, I remember you know, when it, I remember when a billion dollars was a lot of money, Nick Hill. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's a lot of exciting work, and I think I think as and and that's why. So if if you if today I'm an investor, I'm a private equity investor, and I'm investing in a company that's got seven eight hundred million dollars in revenue, and I think I can improve the profitability, and it's into payments. I have to ask myself, what is Brex going to do to this business model? Yeah. And you know, if I'm not aware of what's going on in digital transformation uh, and connected um, applications, um, I'm going to be, you know, those companies are going to be in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Uh, Nikhil, I, I hinted at it before, your, your background, this mix of business and education, feels like the perfect mix for GSV Labs. Uh, talk to me about your background. Um, you, you know, where did you grow up? Uh, you know, where did you, you know, what were some of the real transformational learning opportunities for you? Sure. So I, uh, I grew up in India. Uh, my father was, uh, was in the army. So I lived all over India every two, three years. And I think that was a really important uh, life skill that I developed, which is um, how do you move every two or three years, pick up sticks, move to a new place, build connections, networks. Um, uh, and so I feel comfortable today going to any country, any place for any period of time and being able to very quickly connect and build uh, build that network. It also provides a lot of adaptability. And it, it turned out that in my career, uh, that adaptability was, was very important. Um, I did high school, I did college uh, in India, then I began my professional career in the government of India as a bureaucrat for five years, left, came to the US I, um, to do a master's and then a PhD at the University of Pennsylvania, and then went on to teach at the University of Texas. So that was the first sort of um, I would say trajectory of mine. Um, uh, I got tenure at, at the University of Texas, uh, but by then I had sort of become very interested in what was taking place in uh, global technology transformation, and I uh, left the university to work on a small startup doing cross-border IT outsourcing. Uh, there was a division of uh, Deluxe Corporation, uh, you know, the big check printing. Uh, company and so I got my first break um, in the corporate world through through um, uh, Gus Blanchard, who was then chairman and CEO of Deluxe. Uh, my first title was president and CEO, and I, I think that that's a very very good way to begin your career uh, if you're <laughs> going to transition. Bad, yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you're going to transition into a new industry, um, so I, I was I was very fortunate to get that opportunity, and then um, you know going into that. Environment now. One of the things that academia teaches you is um, is to absorb new information mm. and new ways of thinking very quickly. And I think I could use some of those skills in the corporate environment as well. Um, did a couple of that company was sold, did another startup, and then became a venture capitalist for a while. Uh, and then uh, I had a sort of a sidestep in my career. I went to India for five years to set up a new university. Wow, uh, and that was an amazing uh, experience. It's the first research university in the private sector uh, in India. Um, 
one of India's um, richest um, businessmen and philanthropist, uh, Shivnadar, uh, started the university and brought me on as employee number one to to design and and get the university up and running. It's one of India's top universities now. Uh, And that was an amazing experience to be able to actually go back to India and give back in such a meaningful way, in ways that impact people's lives through through education and bring in all of the things that I'd learned in uh, in American academia and bring those to uh, uh, to the Indian environment was was very exciting. Um, and then after Shivnadi University, you know, I told you about Coursera. I spent three years there. Coursera, I think, is one of the most important companies in the world. Uh, it is, you know, we like to say. Uh, it is uh, democratizing higher education. And what the world needs is um, high-quality education delivered at affordable prices at scale. Mm. And that's the problem that Coursera is solving. So very important company. Had a great time. Um, They worked uh, on a number of uh, different projects before coming to GSV Labs. Well, it, yeah, it's it is an incredible company. I actually did a conversation with uh, Daphne. I think it was. Um, this must have been back in 2012, and it was just kind of coming, uh, you know, becoming known outside, you know, to to people like me. And yes, the impact that that's made uh, is spectacular. Uh, not a lot of people give up tenure at uh, University of Texas. Uh, I'm sure uh, you had friends and family who told you you were you were crazy at that point. Yeah, I think I'm one of the few people I know who've given up a job for life three times, uh, first <laughs> in the government of India and actually twice at the University of Texas. So um, uh, so it's been, uh, you, you might, I, I, I would not ever have described myself as a risk taker, but it turns out that my career has definitely um, had a lot of turning points where um, <clears throat> I've taken risks that other people thought were uh, were not very smart. So yeah. wow. uh, I, I think I've been fortunate. So I've, I've had this experience doing a lot of things. You know, my wife likes to say it's because I can't hold down the job. Uh, <laughs> I keep going from one to another. Uh, of course. That, that's um, what that's what one's spouse is for, is to, you know, either direction. <laughs> it's to keep us all humble, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. Nikhil, thank you. Thank you for your time and uh, a fascinating personal story. And uh, with GSV Labs, continued great luck to you. Absolutely, and I, I just leave you with a with a with a parting line here, just in the same way that um, uh, Coursera uh, is democratizing higher education. Our mission at DSV Labs is to democratize innovation, and how do we make innovation and the things that make it happen available to people around the world at affordable rates, regardless of where they are. That's that's fantastic, and I guess in t- in terms of the the what's next, is it is it really is it the the online platform or the the combination of the online platform plus the global centers? Is that where you would uh, point to for what's next for GSV Labs? Yep, absolutely. We will continue to to have uh, grow our innovation centers as anchors from which we will continue to radiate out uh, with the online platform. Terrific. Thank you. Thank you for your time, Nikhil. Thank you, Chris. Enjoyed it.